Hey, it's Tom Sullivan from Forging Ahead, and I've got Bryce with me today. Bryce, why don't you take a minute and introduce yourself however you'd like to be introduced? Yeah. Uh, so recently, I guess I, I've added on a, a new description of being a, a startup therapist, um, spending a lot of time with founders recently who apparently enjoy opening up to me because I don't judge them for their problems and hopefully have a couple of solutions. But uh, yeah, my my background is really in B2B SaaS, <clears throat> worked in various sales and customer success orgs, built some stuff up. Um, seen a bunch of, of different stages across the $100 million ARR milestone, also done the first zero to 250K in revenue. Um, so been, been a little bit all over the place. Nice, man. Do you want to take us um, through your path a little bit? Like, I guess, starting wherever you like to where you are today, like some different companies, some different experiences. And if I can prompt or poke a little bit. Something that I'm curious about is seeing if we can get like one layer below the typical like, you know, when you ask somebody at a startup, how they're doing and they say crushing it. It's like, well, that's like, a fucking lie. <laughs> yeah. Like give me the real stuff. So just as like a, as a little thing to stick out there before you start, but go ahead. Tell us yeah. about your path, man. Um, yeah, so I, I guess I'll get in. I'll get into the not crushing it in a minute here. Um, but essentially, you know, I I started out my career thinking like I wanted to do good in the world, solve the world's problems. Did some politics, did some nonprofits. Um, spent some time working with startups when I was at United Way, and realized that. I was less interested in solving the world and more interested in just solving problems. You know, saw the the bureaucracy of those worlds, got super frustrated, hated myself, hated everyone. Uh, felt like I was bashing my head against the wall. Did some cool stuff along the way, learned a bunch, but like just just needed something that moved faster. And ultimately, like fell in love with startup land, looking at it from the outside, you know, it's like, here's these people who are building incredible things, solving real problems, um, making, making things happen. And not to say that startups are, are, you know, solving the word in their own right, but they're obsessed with problems. I'm the type of person that walks around in the world constantly pissed off because things seem broken. I just want to fix them. So it seemed like a good fit. My uh, my first startup, a company called Gravity, who just raised their Series A, uh, a nice $21 million round. So great to see that those guys are doing well. Nice. Um, jumped from United Way. We became probably their second client and joined the team immediately. We was told I'd be coming in, you know, helping their clients be successful. I had industry experience, thought it was going to be in, in some ways super easy, right? Like, help people do the job I was doing felt felt like that would be not a difficult thing to achieve. Uh, the reality was we had to actually acquire customers to, you know, feel good about spending time making them successful. And that was like way harder than I ever imagined, you know, calling people up and, and I'm sure you're going through this now trying to convince them that what you're doing is solving their problems, that it's something they should care about that you're someone that they should believe actually knows how to help them through the shit. And as much as I thought the connections and the industry threads and all of those things would help me, 
it it didn't matter to a large degree. Um, so it, it was a lot of learning of just like brute force trying to understand what software sales was, how that worked. Um, it, it took a lot of time and a lot of effort and we scaled some revenue, but it was painful. And looking back on it, like I kind of sucked at it. <laughs> the, uh, what, what specifically was, was shitty about those days? I think it was that I assumed everyone I was talking to was myself, right? Like, I bought this product because it was a product that I thought solved the problem. But again, I was the type of the person who was running away from this world because I couldn't deal with it and didn't want to be in with it. So assuming that people would latch on to the same value propositions that I had was naive. Like being a proxy buyer was such a detriment to those conversations. And what I've tried to learn from that process is take a step back and do a hell of a lot more listening. Like as much as you think you know about the pain point you're trying to solve, your customer probably knows where the pain is a hell of a lot more than you do. Um, so again, like super good learning experience, but it, it was definitely trying, stressful, difficult, felt probably one of the few times that I felt super unsuccessful in my life. Uh, and looking back on it, like it was an incredible experience. It's helped me learn so much and really figure out a lot of better practices, a lot of good things to do, develop good habits, throw out the bad shit. But yeah, I was, I was not crushing it. <laughs> um, I want to come back to habits and best practices eventually, but so pull us forward from gravity to what happened next. Yeah. Um, so Gravity and I ended up parting ways. Uh, both of our children actually were, were born early, um, which was, you know, a difficult process, kind of disrupts the shit out of your life. Not, not a great time to be in a super early stage startup. Uh, and we ended up kind of taking, taking a break, let's call it. Afterwards, ended up deciding that maybe I wanted to, to see a little bit more what an established company looks like. Jumped into uh, Enterprise CS at, at Ever5, who prior to that had received, uh, I think it was like a $250 million investment from the TPG Rise Fund. So like megalithic client, megalithic company, tons of clients, lots of process, uh, you know, established model of how things were done. It, again, was a good learning experience, but felt more akin to bureaucracy and walls and, you know, not feeling empowered to solve the problems that were around me. Uh, so ultimately, like, learned learned what I could there and, and decided to hop out and then ended up here. Um, so ended up at Shoebox, just crossed the one-year mark um, in January that that was a, an interesting process of like trying to bet where I was going to go and, and be a little bit more intentional about that. But things have been, uh, things have been pretty good since. The, um, I mean, it sounds like you were pretty intentional about ending up at the last place like that. Um, the attributes of that company may have, I, I'm projecting this, but may have Project fit away. well with where you were in life, right? Like there's nothing harder than, taking care of babies and 
your family and to be at a place that has established processes that doesn't need you to build them. It just needs kind of maintenance and running what they've already set up. That might've been the right spot. Huh? I think one of the things I've learned about being in startups is I, I think there's somewhat, yeah. I, I mean, what you've done and striking out on your own definitely comes with a lot of risk and a lot of, uh, hudspa. but, uh, when you're thinking about most companies, especially post, you know, uh, a series seed, like you tend to know what the trajectory is. You tend to know ahead of time that things aren't going well. Um, and frankly, especially here in Boston, it's, it's a hot market. Uh, there's tons of openings, there's tons of opportunity. And in some ways, I think I feel a little bit more stable working in this place, working in this field, working in Boston than I would working for, you know, Fidelity or some giant company that, you know, on a whim might lay off 6,000 people. So Mm -hmm. I I think there there definitely is some, some certainty that came with that. It definitely required less like hard bandwidth and, you know, trying to think through problems when I wasn't in the office, but the frustration at least for the type of person I am almost like ate away in its own way of like coming home and just being like, Fuck. like today was an awful day and I'm just annoyed. Yeah. Do you want to um, transition to shoebox? Tell us a little bit about, um, I guess take that however you want. If you want to tell us what the company does and then tell us about your role, maybe that's a good, good way to hit it. Yeah. Um, so I'll actually start with kind of like I talked about, I tried to be exceptionally intentional with ending up here. Um, so I talked to, I don't know, through connections and interviews and whatever else, somewhere in the ballpark uh, of 50 different companies, various different stages, all ever if I was located headquartered in DC, decided I didn't want to be, you know, in a satellite office or remote. So looked at headquarters companies, decided that Series D was was too far along. So I skewed down to, you know, Series A, Series B, wanted to get out of ed tech. So I, I looked across the industries and ultimately really fell in love with the idea of coming to Shoebox, um, specifically because it, it plays in the space of other startups, right? We, we work directly with companies that are seeking venture capital or have raised venture capital, the team is absolutely killer. Uh, people came from, you know, MIT and DECA, which sold to Oracle for a couple billion dollars, folks from eBay and other places. And I think that that was another thing, too, of like, I really wanted to work closely with people who I could feel like were real rock stars, you know, the the bullshit analogy of like A plus players and just what I think I found here and, and really been happy about is there is that high level of what everyone's playing at, that the mutual respect and trust is there too. Like there's never malintent assumed because everybody's just trying to do the best they fucking can to, to move the needle forward. Um, yeah. So that, that was kind of the, the journey to get here. Um, can I interrupt you for one sec? I think there's no, a re- really, no. <laughs> it's a really good lesson in there that I'd like to pull out. Yeah. The, being intentional about where you end up, I think like comes with a certain level of maturity, but I think if somebody is potentially thinking about leaving a company, 
So the lesson I wanted to ask you about pulling out of there and being intentional about where you end up, like, I guess, talking specifically about Boston, where there's a lot of opportunity for people to move. It sounds like you took a pause and built a set of criteria about where you wanted to end up. Like, how would you coach somebody through that? Like you talked about, um, it's funny, like there's an element of knowing yourself here too, but like you didn't want to be in a satellite office. So you wanted to look for HQ companies. Um, and then series B is too late. Like there's so much interesting stuff there. What other choices can people make about where they want to end up? Uh, well, yeah. So for me, a lot of it was looking back and saying, these were things that I found shitty and pissed me off and aggravated me. And again, like the type of person I am, is I just want to solve and fix all the problems and, you know, whatever. So that was, at least for me, super important. Like any kind of uh, downside protection on things that I knew were frustrating and kind of doing that self-reflection around my past experiences was really important. I think the other thing to um, obviously passion, right? Finding a product, finding a, an industry, a space, a client base that you can get super excited about. And then I think both of those kind of play into the, the like empathy with your future self, right? So it's like, what do I want to experience? What do I want to learn? What am I working towards myself? Like hoping to, to kind of venture out and start my own SaaS company at, at some point in the future. This, this was really a, a perfect stepping stone, right? It's like, I don't just get to learn from the startup I'm in, but I get to learn from the hundreds of startups that we work with. I get to learn from the venture capital community that we work with, the different folks in, in the law firm industry around the startups and, and really try to build up in some ways my own competitive advantage, right? Knowing my way through some of the stumbling blocks that a lot of first-time founders maybe aren't aware of um, and just being able to soak up all of that knowledge, all of that network on like a super expedited timeline for me, it was super valuable for other people who, you know, have different long-term goals, like, depending on what those are, I think either aligning with them via industry, via role. Um, I think those things are, are really important and really good ways to think about your next step. I'm glad we took that detour. I think that that was really helpful. So to try to circle back to before I interrupted, we were talking about shoebox and you had mentioned the team and being um, all really high quality people and lots of trust and everybody's best intentions I guess continue pulling on that thread if you want and then transition into what is shoebox? Yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, I think in terms of like the team, the product, all things I was super passionate about. And the, the problem that we're solving is at least from like a tactical and behavioral standpoint, pretty hairy. And so knowing that you're surrounded with folks who you can trust to really do the necessary work to, to get you there and help solve that, that product with the mentality that, um, you know, there is that respect, there is that autonomy, there is that faith that people are all just trying to do what they can to move the ship forward, as opposed to, you know, the personal self-interest, the friction points between certain individuals, some of, some of the bullshit that, that's getting in the way in a lot of companies. Um, I think here is, is a pretty good, pretty good mentality around that stuff. And, and so I, I guess to, to pull back and talk a little bit about what Shoebox does, 
Shoebox is, is, as I said before, specifically focused on helping VC-backed companies, the founders, the entrepreneurs, the exec team navigate some of the waters of things that they really never started a company to do and, and quite frankly, can be a little bit of a bane of their existence. So when we think about the the trajectory of a startup or what we all hope to build um, is go out there, you know, raise some initial capital, bring on some employees, consultants, advisors, raise some more capital, scale, and go have an exit. And we all make some money someday, um, hopefully, right? And so Shoebox is a, a legal collaboration tool that helps facilitate companies working with counsel across all of those activities to generate those documents in a, a cost-effective way to help you stay organized automatically. So that way, when we think about things like major funding events, right, your first series seed, your series A, where you're bringing in some capital and the supporting documents for that are hundreds of pages and a lot of the missteps that we see are things that aren't signed or, you know, questions and diligence around their organization that really slow down the process. Um, I think it was like a good illustration of what that looks like for a company. I talked to someone recently that raised a, a $4 million series seed, the financing process. So everyone right now is talking about how going from introduction to term sheet has gotten quicker. Well, that's great, but it's, it's like buying a house. Um, I, you bought a house, right? Yep. Cool. So everybody gets all excited. You get your offer accepted, right? All your friends are like, yay, awesome. And then nobody tells you that everything after that really sucks. So similarly, right? You get that term sheet. You want to celebrate. Great. We're going to close this $4 million round. Legal diligence and the documentation that comes after that gets generated. Um, so typical way that's happened is a bunch of lawyers in Microsoft Word drafting up a giant 500 page document doing control F, changing out a bunch of shit and charging you hourly for both your counsel and investor counsel. The, the company that I talked to, you know, raised $4 million. The process took um, seven weeks to go from term sheet to the closing of the round. So actually getting that money in their bank basically diverted the entire founding team's attention. You know, you're not focusing on product. You're not focusing on growth. You're just focusing on getting that fucking money in the door. Mm -hmm. um, and then ultimately was left with a, a legal bill over the 100K mark for just the financing docs, not nice. the diligence and other cleanup. And so you look at that as a substantial percentage point on the $4 million that it just raised. It's you know a couple months runway. It's a new higher salary. All that shit sucks. Um, and it really, really is unfortunate to see founders go through that process, whereas with with Shoebox, really what you can do is you can streamline the document generation, you can streamline the diligence process, and do so pretty seamlessly. So we're, we're seeing that uh, when folks are facilitating their financing through our platform, go from seven-week process or you know, the standard four weeks down to like 14 days from term sheet to close. So that's, you know, weeks that you're putting back into your business and hopefully really increasing the odds of success because you can go back to focusing on the shit that actually matters and also preserve some of that capital along the way. Got it. Um, sounds like, yeah, I mean, going from seven weeks, not being able to do anything, but trying to get money in the bank, shrinking that to 10 days or, or two weeks, 
that's a big deal. So I guess the follow up to that would be how is shoebox sold and like how is the team set up to go out and sell it? Yeah. Um, so that's a great question. Basically the the long story short company history, we've been around for uh, about seven years, five of that probably a little bit more was really research and development, like building out a system that facilitates dynamically editing, you know, huge sets of legal documents took quite a bit of work. Um, so we're about 35 employees, the vast majority of that on the engineering side. Right now, our, our go-to-market is split really between CS-focused um, and facilitating kind of conversations around inbound. Our growth to this point has all been organic. Folks who are showing up either through our partnerships with accelerators, you know, folks like Techstars, Mass Challenge, um, 2020 Startups, all of these awesome accelerator partnerships that we have where we can kind of come in, help companies understand some of these waters and hopefully be uh, better prepared for, for their upcoming financing. And now we're starting to, to shift that a little bit to think about what does our go-to-market strategy look like? How do we scale in a way that makes sense when we're trying to support companies through all stages? Um, and at affordable price points for startups, right? We're not playing in enterprise. We're not selling to GE. Our check size, our ACV isn't, you know, $600,000. So trying to figure out the right channels to, to go through that is, is something that we're working through right now. And really now that we've gotten to a point where we're facilitating these full equity financing, you know, what does that look like now that we feel like our solution is, is you know, complete in terms of the offering. Um, part of that too is also flipping that around and starting to talk to the VC firms who are investing early, who are, you know, smaller in terms of the dollars under management and using what we've built to facilitate some of their needs around reporting to LPs and fund management and justifying their current positions uh, with the ultimate mission, which I think is what everything in Shoebox comes back to. And what gets me super excited is like, we just want to make it as easy as possible for founders and startups in this ecosystem to do all of the stuff that they need to do and make that as easy for you as humanly possible like you shouldn't have to think about what those processes look like you shouldn't have to worry about how much your lawyer is charging you you should worry about the business you should worry about where counsel is valuable you should worry about trying to be successful and everything that we can pull in that's doing that and leverage that in terms of go-to-market strategy whether it's additional services that we can make easy to access for founders um, or other folks who are providing value to these companies is really, I think, kind of the next level for us in terms of go-to-market. Your, I guess, just from taking a quick lap through your LinkedIn, um, customer success pops up a lot in your titles. Um, tell us like your take on customer success and maybe even what it looks like at Shoebox. Yeah. So I, I think customer success is almost somewhat of a, a controversial term these days. There's such wide ranging definitions, um, you know, go to companies where customer success translates to account management. You know, it's all about quota, cross sell, upsell, renewal, those revenue numbers go to some companies. It's 
you know, really about onboarding and getting customers in the door. Some folks, it's, um, you know, check-ins and hand-holding. Some folks, it's a consulting services arm. And I think where the industry is moving towards, which is really how we're thinking about it here at Shoebox, is <clears throat> it's really about the success piece of it, maximizing the success of your customers, helping them adopt your technology and work towards the, the outcomes that they care about. And I think part of that's an understanding that renewal is, is kind of a lagging indicator, right? If we try to intervene when their contract's up for renewal, our success rate's going to be pretty low. If we're getting involved in the early stages, making sure they're getting um, time to value quicker, making sure that they're feeling good and feeling like their outcomes are, are coming through through every stage of using your product, that's really where customer success needs to spend its time. And so when we think about it here, what we're thinking about is how can we make sure that folks are getting value out of generating documents through the platform as opposed to doing them out with their attorney and Microsoft Word and everything else? You know, How can we make sure that we're keeping them investor ready and kind of doing those things up front so that way when they do come up to renewal, it's not even a conversation. It's, you know, hey, great, thanks. We'll see you again next year. Um, that that's really what I think we're working towards and what I've seen be successful because there definitely has been times that's been focused on the revenue piece and that that's an uphill battle. Like you've already lost that battle if you're not talking to your customers and providing value through their life cycle and you're just trying to win them back when it comes to renewal. What type of um, tactics and activities end up in that success bucket? So in terms of a, a tactic standpoint, I think it starts with really defining what the yellow brick road is, you know, what path do you want your customers to go on? What do successful customers look like? And doing a little bit of behavior management or relationship management to pull people back onto that yellow brick road. And I think that can manifest itself in multiple ways, um, you know, depending on your industry, depending on the value of your service. But I think it's it's trying to encourage them either through stuff in the product, through relationship building, um, to stay on that path and trying to leverage the data that you can get from your platform, from your marketing insights, um, from your interactions to understand where are people deviating, to better understand what that path is, and to do everything that you can to take the model of your most successful customers and relate that to everyone who looks like them. Like that, that should be your gold standard. Got it. Um, just to backtrack a little bit and talk about, I know you said um, the kind of more intensive go-to-market strategy is something that you guys are working on right now. But if somebody's listening to this, maybe in a similar spot, what are some of the options that people have? I guess maybe if you you told us a little bit about the people that you sell to, it's really venture-backed businesses at, I guess, is it at Series A? But if we're thinking about scale and you know how to hit the gas on growth a little bit, what are some of the options that, that people have? Like it, it's not just, you know, hire 25 BDRs and have them pound the phones and, you know, man incoming chat. Like what are you guys kicking around for potential options on how to get, acquire more customers? Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I mean, for us, right, the, that's probably not the model. It's probably not having 20 people sitting there cold calling, trying to pay their quotas to, to cover their salaries and facilitate some growth. Um, sure, you could certainly light a bunch of cash on fire and see where that gets you. But I do think there there are a lot of other avenues to, to kind of look at. Um, you know, product-led growth is something that that's super huge right now. OpenView Ventures, who is based here in Boston, does a ton, um, and I think actually defined the term product-led growth, right? So developing a, a product that folks love, that they're attracted to, that's easy to use, that's pleasant to use, that helps them share with their networks and really riding that product towards acquiring customers. I think one of the things that I've been doing a lot of research into lately that's super interesting is, is really kind of like channel partnerships. Um, thinking about essentially working with startups in our capacity is similar to what VCs are going through right now, where they're in a market where capital is available or products are available and they're trying to find differentiators. So they're trying to find ways to be founder friendly and to provide value beyond just the cash they're bringing in the door. So when I think about Shoebox and what we can do for our clients, you know, what what else can we bring to the table? What other problems can we solve for them? Um, you know, can we be that startup therapist? Can we lend our insights and our experiences? Can we bring our customers together as a community and help them lean on other founders to work through their problems together? Like what what are those things that we can do to, to bring more to the table, either from a partnership standpoint or from a community standpoint? And those are kind of things that, at least right now, are, are most interesting to me. A um, couple of, of great things on, on that front that I'd highly encourage people to, to read or listen to. Um, there was a recent HBR article, I think from Jeff Busking over at Flybridge about community uh, as a differentiator and value proposition in SaaS companies. And then also um, a great Saster episode uh, with the CEO of Crossbeam uh, on kind of channel partnerships and, and that model. Awesome. What, uh, I guess on that, on the broader like Boston conversation note, um, there's probably nobody better in the seat of seeing what's going on in startup land in Boston than you. So tell us what you're seeing. Yeah. Um, so I guess relevant on that front, one of the other things that's going on in my life, in addition to, you know, being here at Shoebox and being a father of two, uh, is, is also a, a fellowship with underscore VC, uh, an incredible early stage venture firm based here in Boston. So just a, another kind of lens and capacity that I get to work with awesome people building cool things here uh, on both sides of the ecosystem. And I think a, a lot of um, kind of getting into how that ties into Boston, a lot of what their thesis revolves around is, is Boston is really a unique ecosystem right we talk tons of people talk about san francisco and the saturation and the willingness to help and the culture all that kind of stuff uh i think boston is unique in the fact that we're not trying to be another san francisco like i've never heard anybody say like silicon river or silicon harvard or like whatever right like we don't we don't do that shit where we're boston uh, and we have incredible universities, incredible hospitals, 
like our talent pipeline is huge. Our partnership pipeline is huge. There's tons of things going on here. And I think there is a unique value proposition and underscore really focuses on and their best um, on that Boston community. And so in, in my capacity with their firm, what we're working on is building out what's called their core community. So part of their value add is really as former operators building out a network of folks who are really top quality in the city across different industries, across different functions, and bringing them together to network with themselves to be a pipeline of potential founders and also to provide you know, insight and advisory and capacity to their portfolio companies. And so I think what that kind of tails into is we're also unique in the way that we interact with each other. Like I think Boston in some ways is certainly a hard community to break into, you know, fuck you and all that shit. But uh, once, once you've made it through the top skin, like this city defends its own. And I think there's no better place to be starting a company, building a company, bringing a company because the people are here once, once you're accepted, are going to have your back, are going to defend you to the core, um, you know, are going to help you in whatever capacity they can. Yeah, I love that. Um, and I agree. What Are there any trends that you've picked up on, like where people are trying to solve problems and start businesses? <sighs> it, it's hard to say. I mean, I feel like so many things are going on um, I do think there is kind of a more recent interest in Boston to move outside of our, our kind of historical core competencies. So there's definitely been a lot more companies that I've seen that are not just typical B2B enterprise SaaS uh, as kind of we've made famous in the, the 495 belt. Um, there's a lot more stuff coming out of uh, obviously, you know, the traditional health tech and life sciences and B2B stuff still here and still robust, but there are more folks trying to go uh, direct to consumer, trying to build, um, you know, B2C brands, trying to do things with blockchain or, or deeper technologies, deep learning, AI. Um, and I think on that standpoint, like a lot of what's coming out of the university ecosystem is really a lot of super deep technical things that I think most people try to attribute to, to the San Francisco and the Valley. But I think we're doing just as much um, to really further those efforts as well. The, um, yeah, I'm trying to, trying to figure out the best um, transition from there. What, uh, is there anything else you think we should hit about shoebox or anything about underscore or do you want to pull on the underscore thread a little bit more and talk about maybe what you're spending your time with those folks actually doing? Yeah. Um, so definitely we'll, we'll hit on kind of one more point on, on each of those on the underscore front. Our, our kind of fellowship and core initiatives for 2020 have been um, somewhat covert to, to this point, but we'll be kicking off at, at least on the, the customer success side and probably as well in, in product and sales, some kind of a launch um, for 2020. So we'll have a, a core cafe for customer success, bringing together 
folks uh, of all levels to really have a, a robust conversation in March um, and should have some, you know, social and blog post stuff coming in the, the next couple of weeks to really kick things off. I encourage anybody who's in the Boston ecosystem, especially who's in the customer success world, to, to get involved and engage. It's a great way to build your network and build some knowledge. Um, and then on the shoebox front, like if if you're out there and thinking about these things, yeah, of course, if we can be helpful from a software perspective, help you manage your cap table, keep your documents organized, be investor ready, save some money um, on time, on, on all of this stuff, happy to. But also, if you're just looking to have conversations, learn a little bit about you know our perspective on some of these challenges or anything that I can be helpful on, you know, I just... I love helping people out in this community and hopefully I've been marginally helpful to you, Tom, but, uh, you know, if not, you can blow my secret and unveil me as a charlatan. (laughs) No, man. I think that that is exactly in line with what I've seen There's always just a, um, how can I help posture? Not necessarily like, you know, you take some, you have coffee with some people and you spend the whole time trying to figure out like, what's the angle here. And, uh, that has been my experience with you at all. It's, it's just tell me what's going on. And I don't know if I can help, but if I can, I will. Um, so I think that people should take you up on that for sure. Um, the last kind of topic I want to hit is what's it like being a dad and being in the startup scene and, I guess like I'm curious to see how you think that some of these startups are doing, you know, handling people being parents in this, this type of a job that isn't, you know, a 902 to 458 um, job. Riff on that a little bit for me. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's more of like a 901 to 459 type situation. (laughs) Um. Yeah, so I, I mean, there's there's both upside and downside. Um, I, I think to your point, right? Like one of the things that's always been difficult for me after the birth of our first, and, and certainly after the birth of our second, is you know you're never really off, um, especially if if you're on the founding side. But as an early employee, even as a late employee in a startup, like there there is a significant investment and there's such a a digital competency that everyone's always available everywhere. Um, which can be kind of challenging. Like I, there's definitely days where I feel guilty about not being fully present with my kids and my family. Uh, my wife also works in tech. She works for a company called new store who's doing some great stuff in, in the retail tech space. But it's, it, you know, it's always a balance of like trying to, to make sure that we're present, we're there. And I think hopefully we do a, a relatively good job of it. But I do think the, the positive side is tech definitely has a more progressive mentality um, and more emphasis on flexibility. You know, in, in none of the companies that I've worked for have I ever worried about you know, if I have to work from home because I have a sick kid or taking him to the doctor or taking time off to, to go and, and do, you know, something as a family or go on a vacation or whatever else. Yeah, there's the caveat of like, I probably have my phone and computer with me at all times, but there there's definitely that understanding. And as I said, you know, both of both of our kids were early. There were, 
both spent time in the NICU. It was an incredibly difficult process. Uh, and especially here at Shoebox, like I, I was only here at this company for, for two months um, before our, our youngest was born, ended up in the NICU, um, spent you know, a couple of weeks there and the, the understanding, the flexibility of the team, um, of the leadership uh, of everyone was, was wonderful. You know, I, I don't know if we would have been able to make it through it if it wasn't for that. And certainly some of the, the bigger tech companies are definitely doing more to try to push that envelope forward, you know, like Netflix offering a, a year of paid paternal leave, um, which, you know, just to, to kind of preach for a second, I think it's critically important for anyone who's a founder out there, for anyone who's a dad or going to be a dad out there. I think it's hugely important for you to take just as much time as your partner is. You should both be there in the early stages. And I think more companies need to do more to facilitate that. Um, so that's, that's my soapbox. Uh, and I'll bang that drum or whatever other euphemisms will make people listen to this. Uh, but I, I think that's super important. Are the shoebox founders parents? Uh, one is, one isn't. So, uh, Jason, our CEO, no kids to, to speak of, and Stefan does, does have two, uh, relatively young kids, uh, coach their soccer team, stuff like that. So, you know, some understanding on one side, but I do think it's, it's kind of more the mentality of like, we care about outcomes versus um, inputs or, or kind of like butts and seats or whatever you want to call it. And I think that on a whole um, has been my experience in tech, right? Like if you are doing your job, if you're moving the needle forward, if you're doing the things that, that are important, like who gives a shit where you sit and what's going on in your life? Like let's, let's support you in that. Uh, and as I think about like my future and, and, you know, potentially starting a company one day, I, I, that's a hundred percent the mentality that I want to have. I want people to feel fulfilled in their lives, feel good about work, feel good about family and, and not have to worry about the balance or the perception or anything else. Right. Like you should feel good, whether it's your kid or your dog or your houseplant or whatever else, but like with the caveat of get shit done. Yeah, I think that's dead on. I don't know what else I could add there. I think it's, um, I love the like outcomes. It's if you have agreed upon metrics to which you're going to be measured against for your job, who gives a shit like where you are? I don't, I definitely wouldn't measure productivity by how much FaceTime you get or how many minutes you spend in the seat in the office every day. It's just like, you know what you're supposed to do and I know what you're supposed to do and you have clear expectations. I'm with you a hundred percent. I think that it stuff's a big deal. Like it's, it's really hard to give a shit about legal collaboration platforms when you have little babies who need you, you know? So it's like to be able to have um, people who get that in turn makes you give a shit about legal platforms more than anybody. It's like, it's yeah. such a good way to, to establish loyalty and to make people, to make a place that is a great place to work. I mean, it's a big deal. Yeah. And I think that actually hits on something that that was uh, somewhat of a, a weird realization for me of like understanding that when founders are going through these financing rounds, especially their first major ones, like this is a hugely emotional process. Same thing as starting your company, right? Like deciding who owns what, 
going through this where it's kind of like you've put your whole life into this company, into this work, um, and are putting that all out there into the world, into the line. It's a super emotional thing. Um, so, you know, I've been through my hardships and not a kidding, um, you know, what we went through with our kids, uh, things that happen at a startup, but I do know what it's like to have a lot on the line. And, and I think in all of those situations, anything that we can do to, to support each other, to make that stuff easier, whether it's being understanding from a parental leave standpoint or trying to make processes less stressful, less difficult, less time consuming. Like I, I think all those things are super valuable. Um, people are out here because they have passion. People, you know, hopefully have kids because they care about them. But, uh, you know, let, let's try to support each other in, in whatever capacities we can. Amen, man. Um, what's the best way for people to connect with you online? Yeah. Um, feel free to shoot me an email, Bryce with a Y at shoebox.com. I'm on Twitter, BJ Del Grande, the LinkedIn, the other socials, Twitter email is probably best. Cool. Well, thanks for doing this, man. I think uh, we probably could have done another full hour. So I'll probably circle back and knock on your door to see if uh, we can go a little bit deeper on some specific stuff next time. But that was really fun for me. Thanks for doing it. Yeah, man. It, it was a pleasure. My my first pod. So hopefully it's, it's not incredibly awful. Um, <laughs> and maybe next time we get together, we can do a little uh, a riff around some of your experiences so far. Um, and, and kind of sharing some war stories. Sounds good, man. Cool. Thanks, Bryce. I'll talk to you soon, buddy.